Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. If you're a dog owner and have children, your parenting style reveals a lot about your bond and relationship. Similar to raising children, you have certain parenting methods when it comes to your pets. Michelle Stern is a certified professional dog trainer, dog behavior consultant, family dog mediator, and a 16-year veteran educator. In short, Michelle is a dog family whisperer. She is the founder of Pooch Parenting, where she offers online classes, training, and support for families with children and dogs to create peace and harmony in the home. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so excited to speak with you today. It's such an honor for you to have me. Thank you so much. I really want to hear about your story. Your passion is to support families with children to be more mindful pet owners. How and why did this come about? Well, it's such a convoluted story, but I feel like it's so similar to many journeys that other parents experience in our, you know, lives and career choices. So when I'm going to go way back to when I was a child, I wanted to be a veterinarian and, you know, I worked for vets and volunteered at animal shelters and things like that and loved it. Um, and when I got to college, organic chemistry kind of got in the way of my forward progress. And so yes. I had to sort of change my plans because OCHEM weeded me out as it is meant to do, I actually think. Um, and I ended up becoming a high school biology teacher. Mm. And that was wonderful. And it was, I learned so much about how to connect with people and how to communicate. And I got to teach about a lot of the things that I loved. So it was fun because I could use my enthusiasm and get other people excited about things. So that was fantastic. And then I had kids of my own and was focused on that. And then I got a little antsy, as many of us do, because Mm -hmm. we kind of feel like I don't know. Have you lost yourself? Because the kids sort of can suck you dry. And so I founded a cooking school for children. And I ran that for eight years while I was raising my kids, but it got in the way of a lot of things. So I needed to teach classes to kids while I should have probably been with my own children. And so I ended up going back to high school teaching for a little while and then throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, I want to do something that I love to do again. I want to teach, but I want to teach about animals. And so I reconnected with my mentor from when I volunteered at a shelter as a teenager, if you could believe it. I'm all grown up and I'm back with my childhood mentor and took a bunch of classes from her about dog behavior. And that got the ball rolling. And now I've taken a ton of you know, continuing education classes. And I'm so happy with this decision. It's amazing. And it sounds like you went full circle. Yeah. So I have young kids and all you hear about kids are they want to be veterinarians when they grow up. But of course, most of them don't pursue 
that particular profession. But with you, you started with that dream and that passion and you got your feet wet in many different areas. And then it ultimately brought you back to where your initial interest was, which I think is incredible. Well, and the other thing that's a huge benefit is that I'm a mom. I raised two kids and we had a dog. And I have to tell you the truth. Like, I did not know what I did not know. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't even on my radar, the fact that I should have prepared my dog before I brought home my daughter from the hospital, or that I should have prepared my dog before we adopted our son from Guatemala. Like It didn't even occur to me. And I got so lucky because nothing bad happened. But I think that we need to really help parents understand that 77% of dog bites to children are by your dog. And Mm -hmm. so you've got to actually take steps and be proactive um, to make sure that you can parent without losing your mind because it's hard enough to just parent kids. So I am able to help my clients who have children with true compassion because I have been in their shoes and I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's the situation that many parents find themselves in. In fact, I was chatting with some doulas this morning inside of a Facebook group, and I asked the question of how many of them have clients who have dogs. And it was amazing. People were saying between 75 and 100% of their clients have dogs, but yet none of the doulas even thought to ask the families if they needed any support around introducing or integrating the dog and child together. And I think that it's a it's a huge missed opportunity because we don't want our parents to be any more overwhelmed than they're already going to be. Yes, I agree. And you hear about, just like we hear about kids, I hate the word acting out, but they're really just responding to something that's going on internally. But it sounds like dogs do the same thing. They do. So their needs are not being addressed and there are things that are going on that they feel they're not being seen and heard. So I feel like there's definitely a lot of similarities and I'm glad that we are talking about that today. Yeah, me too. And I love your insight on it. It's really great. I feel like life experience, you live and learn and we're all learning every day, but I feel like there's not enough information out there. So I'm glad that we can bring this to the listeners. I mean, I didn't even know there was such a thing until I met you. And I'm fascinated by it. And I know there are things that I can apply to my own life. I became a dog mom. It's funny, I have a tank top that says that now, who knew uh, about (laughs) a year ago. So there are things that I'm learning about myself as a dog parent, just like I learned as a human parent um, along the way. Right. So, well, it's good. I think we have to be open to continually learning because like I said earlier, we don't know what we don't know. I agree. Now, Michelle, there are various pet parent personas. Can you please elaborate on what those are and what does our bond with our fur babies reveal about our own parenting philosophies, temperaments, and attitudes? That's such a good question. I think that the different types of pet parents are very similar to the different types of human parents. There are some pet parents that are very permissive and they let the dog sort of figure things out on their own and make mistakes, sometimes to their detriment because a dog that's not managed can do things like eat your walls or ruin your carpets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then there are some pet parents that are 
over micromanaging, you know, and they try to control every little thing that their kids or dog does. And that's comes from a place of love. Um, It comes also sometimes from a place of anxiety where we feel that we can limit, mm, limit, the struggle that everyone faces if we just tell everybody how to do things. And it's interesting because you can actually create some significant problems in a dog if you don't give them any um, independence or any autonomy to to try to work on things on their own. So for example, I'm going to share a story of a friend of mine who has a client um, so she is a dog trainer and she's working with a family who has, a golden retriever puppy. And now golden retrievers were bred to retrieve things, which means that they're very oral and they like to carry things around. And this family is so anxious about the dog getting sick that every time the puppy picks something up, they take it away. Mm-hmm. And what has happened inadvertently, they again coming from a place of love, but they're micromanaging their dog so much that now their dog won't let them approach it. And the dog growls and snarls when they try to take something away because the dog hasn't been able to have any fun enrichment in its life because everything the dog is trying to do that brings it joy from really hundreds of years of breeding, right? Genetics is strong, that it gets in trouble by these people. And so by by loving too much in a controlling way, we can cause some significant problems. So Mm. I hope that is are some examples that answer that question. Yeah, it sounds like the dogs being as sensitive and receptive as they are, they feed off the fear and anxiety. So if they're seeing that and they're also reacting rather than just allowing their natural instinct to come out, then it's always this internal struggle of what am I supposed to do versus what do I feel like I want to do? I love that you asked that question. So dogs and kids are so similar in this way in which they thrive on structure and they thrive on good choices. So for example, I can say to them, you know, I really don't want you picking up that wild mushroom because I don't know if it's poisonous, but I'm going to give you a choice of these three amazing other things that I'm going to drop at your feet. So you pick one of those up instead, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the idea of which sweater do you want to wear today? The red one or the blue one? You're the one choosing which sweaters are appropriate, but your child gets to feel that they have some choice in the matter. So dogs can be the same way in that regard. So giving choice, but in a structured way is really a super way to parent because then honestly, at the end of the day, you get to say yes more and no less. And I know that when I was parenting my kids when when my son he was very 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 challenging had some really difficult stuff going on he was adopted from Guatemala and we don't have time to get into it but things were not easy and mm-hmm. i found myself saying no a lot more than i was comfortable doing and i i really didn't like myself very much to be honest i didn't like how i was around him and so i found that when i started learning about different parenting strategies if I could offer him other acceptable choices, then I felt that I was saying yes more often and saying no less often, which made me get along with myself better, if that makes sense. It it makes total sense. You were changing the narrative for yourself. Yes. And therefore you felt better about the way you were responding to your And he felt better too because he wasn't being told he was wrong all the time. 
You know, Mm -hmm. nobody likes that. And now, Michelle, something that I have observed and experienced myself is when you have a dog in a home with children, the dogs are very observant. So they're probably, they not probably, they must be watching that interaction between the children and the adults in the household. And they maybe feel uh, equal or similar or like if the child is testing boundaries, they may do the same. If the child is being a treat, ser- treated a certain way, they may feel like they're part of that. Would you say that it's different to be in a home for dogs with children versus other homes where there might be more adults or just a single person household? Yeah, there are so many differences. I mean, number one, a dog that is put in a situation where it's living with children, it needs to it needs to be so much more resilient than it would if it were living with, let's say, a, a senior single grandpa who hangs out at home alone, right? So you just have to think about the home environment and what kind of stimuli are around. So if you're a parent with a couple of toddlers or a toddler and an elementary school age child, there's a lot of noise in that house. And it's going to be, a lot of it is going to be fun, happy noise, kids playing and enjoying life and things like that. Of course, there's also going to be tantrums and that's a lot for any dog to handle. So when we are parenting kids and a dog, we need to make sure that everyone has safe spaces. We need to be able to recognize our dog's body language so that we can pick up on stress cues. If, for example, our dog is afraid of the birthday balloon that our Mm -hmm. child brought home, then we need to notice the dog's behavior around that balloon and say, oh, hey, sweetie, let's keep the balloon in your bedroom where the dog can't see it because he's really scared of that right now, right? So we can use these kinds of things, body language with our dog to teach so much about empathy to kids um, and even to teach about things like consent because kids often will be so excited to interact with the family dog that they don't even give any thought to whether or not the dog's actually interested in that kind of interaction. And so I have a podcast also, and I just interviewed this really great woman. She's a parenting educator and sex educator, actually. And we taught, we had a great conversation about dogs and using our dogs to talk to our kids about just basic consent related issues to when we need to advocate for ourselves. So that's a pretty significant difference. Um, when you have a dog living in a family that has children, there are a lot of other issues that you really have to think about than if you're just living alone with your dog. With no kids in the house. I agree. And sometimes with young children, they feel very powerless because they're, you know, at the bottom of the food chain, meaning there are people that are older than them, older siblings, adults telling them what to do. So I feel like when there are puppies and other pets in the household, sometimes they then, you know, test out the dynamic on that pet. And that's where Mm. I sometimes have to intervene with my son who is six years old and say, no, you know, we treat him the way you want to be treated. And we don't treat him like an animal. We treat him as an equal. Definitely. There's constantly having that dialogue because those are my observations with him too. Yeah. I think that's really perceptive of you. I think that there can be jealousy on both fronts, you know, that your kids don't understand why all of a sudden you're the, and the attention that they used to be getting from you is now being split between them and, and the new puppy, for example. Um, and dogs, you know, if you had a dog before you had child, a child, then that dog was your first baby and that dog may not understand, you know, 
why all of a sudden their second fiddle. So there are sometimes some dogs and children who will sort of have little tantrums around that lack of attention. And that can be very hard for them to understand. Mm -hmm. And you brought up a great point is whether the dog came first into the adult's life or whether children came first. And that definitely affects the dynamic of the household too. I think so. Now, Michelle, what are some common issues and challenges that you address with families that you work with who have young Hmm. children? I love this question. Well, I see people in different categories. So I do a lot of work with families who are either adopting or expecting a baby. And so I can work with them to prepare their dog for the upcoming changes that are about to happen. And that's one of my most favorite types of clients to work with because first of all, I love babies and I love dogs and I want to make sure that the parent has as much capacity to give all of their love to everybody who needs it, right? And not Mm -hmm. have so much stress about, you know, I'm actually afraid to bring the baby home because I don't know what my dog is going to do. So we can do a lot of work around that so that the parent can feel confident bringing home their new baby. So I love doing that. I also work with families who have toddlers because Oftentimes the dog was fine when you have a baby because the the baby doesn't really move around much. And yet once they start crawling or becoming more unpredictable or more loud or more grabby, a lot of dogs really struggle with that. And it's at that age that we start to see a lot of growling at the toddler or even biting or nipping happening. So I get called in for a lot of SOS kind of, you know, emergency types of sessions where somebody will get in touch with me and be really upset because you know, some an incident has, has happened and it made them aware of maybe some things that they need to change. And then I work with families who have kids of other ages as well. So maybe they want to get a new dog and they want help picking a dog that will fit well with their family so that they don't have to return a dog to a shelter and feel like they failed at picking the wrong dog or failed at picking the wrong breed because it didn't match their family's energy level, for example. Um, Or maybe families want um, help getting their kids more involved with the dog or parents are just feeling overwhelmed and they are having trouble. Like, how do I deal with bedtime? Or how do I deal with the morning routine so we can all get out the door and get to school on time? Or I really want to host a birthday party one day, but my dog's going to freak out. So what do I do? So I sort of you know, I divide my work in my brain of sort of baby, toddler, and then children of all other ages. Mm -hmm. Based on their developmental stage. Exactly. And that's one thing that I truly understand because I was a mom and a teacher for 16 years. So I, I do have a nice perspective on that that a lot of other dog trainers don't necessarily have. And that's why I think it makes you so effective. And a lot of the things that you had said resonated with me and so I think this is part of the reason why we're having this conversation. I'm or so that happy you about can that. go hand in hand. Now, Michelle, yeah. you had touched upon something a little bit earlier about as the baby becomes a toddler and the dog having more strong reactions. Is that because the dog feels overwhelmed? Or do you think it has to do with more the protective instinct because of the uncertainty or unpredictability of how a toddler would react? I think that that is going to depend on the particular dog. So 
some dogs are sound sensitive, just like some kids are sound sensitive, right? And so for those dogs, a tantruming toddler is seen as a threat or is seen as a source of discomfort. And so a dog may want to get away from that toddler and escape from that discomfort. But on the other hand, the dog may be in conflict because it wants to be close to you, the parent. So now the dog is in this really difficult situation where it wants to be near you, but it wants to get away from the toddler. And it's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it often feels that it needs to start growling or biting in order to protect itself. So that's one very common type of situation. Um, Or just fearful dogs in general. You know, we get a lot of people who are so kind and generous to adopt dogs out of shelters, but some of those dogs have a pretty rocky history and they come with a lot of fear loaded into them, for example. And so we just really have to focus on understanding the dog's body language so that we can intervene before something actually escalates into something dangerous. But Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, you know, part of it is going to be, we have to know who our dog is, but we have to take off our rose-colored glasses, and we need to not assume nothing will happen. We should assume the opposite. We should assume, you know what? If my dog is uncomfortable for any reason, they have every right to use their teeth, right? Mm -hmm. They're animals. They have every right to do that, and it's our job as parents to make sure that the dog never feels that it needs to be doing that. Does that make sense? It does. I couldn't agree more with what you said. There's usually something that's been going on for a while. The warning s- signals are there, and then they just react when they feel like it's their last resort. Yes. And so speaking of – so there are parents that are looking to get a dog or they have a dog, but they feel like they're really struggling with boundaries. What are some things that parents need to keep in mind when handling pets? Like how are dogs and children similar in that regard? I mean, I would almost treat them the same in that regard. You know, it's kind of amazing. My husband and I joke about this that, you know, he would maybe make comments about somebody's child, you know, and compare it to our dog or something kind mm-hmm. of as a joke, but tongue in cheek and people get so offended. But honestly, I it has more accuracy than most people would care to admit, right? Yes. They all need to have a sense of agency. They all have to be feel that they're being seen. They all need to be kept both physically and emotionally safe from other family members, from the environment and things like that. So I mean, honestly, my dream client is a family that comes to me because they're thinking about adding a a dog to the family and they want to make a good choice so that everyone can grow up and live in harmony together, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. dreams of having their kids and dog be best friends, but that's not going to happen on its own generally unless you're just so lucky and that the dog you bring home happens to be one of those unicorn dogs, right? That right. are so hard to find that these these dogs are just so perfect. And But I think we make an assumption that dogs should be more tolerant than they are. Right. And tolerance is a really low bar if you think about it. Like there's a lot I can put up with, but but it doesn't mean that I should have to. Does, do, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. 
you know, <laughs> we shouldn't ask our dogs to put up with things, to put up with being sat on, to put up with being leaned on, to put up with being dressed in children's clothes. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's what, you know, toys are for and that's what furniture is for. And you get a beanbag so your kids can sit on it. But that is not what the dog is for because the dog is an individual with feelings. And um, so, it is really fun to work with a family before they bring home a dog because we can set up expectations of like, okay, this is what needs to happen. We need a safe space for the kids. We need a safe space for the dog. We need to talk about our daily routine and how much dog, how much sleep the dog is going to need, how much time outside the dog is going to need. Oftentimes, and I'm going to generalize and say moms here because this is more in my experience who the burden of responsibility falls on, but it could be any parent. I realize this. Um, so I'm not trying to exclude anyone, but I, I feel that the role of parenting um, often falls um, disproportionately onto the mom who maybe finally con concedes to getting a dog because everybody wanted a dog. And then she's the one who has to put up with everything. The one who has to clean the poop, the one who has to wake up in the middle of the night to take out the puppy, the one who has to do all the work because the kids think it's fun for five minutes and then yep. they're not going to actually step in and do the stuff. Yes. And I always tell people, I feel like there's just a small window of time where it's the ideal time to get a dog. Like if your kids are younger, of course, there are other challenges when they're older, they're very busy socially, academically, just with life. So really for them to spend that much quality time with a dog maybe falls in those, you know, middle school, adolescent years. But other than yeah. that, it ends up being a lot of extra work for the yeah. primary caregiver. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell families that they should only get a dog if the parent who's going to do all of the caregiving wants a dog. It needs to be that parent who wants the dog more than anybody else. And then everybody else can enjoy it. But I, I think that so many families just are struggling with the puppy blues and um, disappointment that, you know, that, that, they didn't expect that they were going to have to do as much care or have as much responsibility as they do. But if you go into it, assuming I want a puppy, I'm going to be the one taking care of the puppy and then being pleasantly surprised if everybody else steps up and helps. I think that's a better mindset to go in um, starting that relationship with. Yes. And my personal tip for people listening are try to as much as possible set those expectations up front. Like yes. know what each person's role is going to be because it gets wishy-washy, especially at the beginning. But if that conversation has been had, then you're just reminding everyone about going back to the initial verbal contract instead of trying to figure it out in chaos and frustration and anger, which by then you're, you know, it, it takes longer right. and definitely more effort and some tears to figure it all out. So I right. say do that beforehand as much as possible. Good tip. I love it. Now, Michelle, we are going into the holiday season. So we know routines are going to be off. There will undoubtedly be excitement and chaos. What is your top advice for families to try to create peace and harmony in their home? That is such a good question. The holidays can be so crazy. I would go back to something that I said earlier and 
touch on consent again real quick, because a lot of times during the holidays, we have visitors and those visitors may not be fully aware of our house rules or the way that we do things. And just like your child should never have to be should never have to put up with having their, you know, cheeks pinched by old Uncle Jerry. That was, mm-hmm. by the way, the guy who pinched my cheeks was my <laughs> Uncle Jerry. So I use Uncle Jerry as my bad guy here. Um, mm-hmm. And I hated it. So every time he would approach me, I would like cower because I knew I was going to have my face pinched. Yes. Um, I, You know, kids shouldn't have to put up with that and neither should your dog. So if you have all these people reaching out and wanting to pet your dog or your puppy and the dog is just not interested or the dog is becoming overwhelmed or overstimulated, then we need to set boundaries and set some rules and say, you know what, the puppy's in its pen right now, which means it's resting. And so you need to find something else to do with your hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that that kind of structure is really important. Um, Practicing having your dog comfortable behind a barrier is one of my number one pieces of advice for any dog families with kids. Because if your dog can be behind a barrier, that means you can open Christmas presents, for example, without the dog tearing open half the packages. Or you can have, you know, your snacks on the floor and not worry that your dog is going to get into a chocolate cookie, which is poisonous, you know? Mm -hmm. So barriers are such an important, just literally just like a coping strategy. Um, It doesn't replace training, but it is valuable in and of itself because it is something that will literally get you through the day. So I think with the holidays in particular, you know, we need to give ourselves maybe more time than we think we might need because, you know, the dog again needs to be taken into account. We need to make sure that the dog doesn't get overwhelmed. Um, kids often get overwhelmed and have meltdown dur- meltdowns during the holidays because, yes. you know, for whatever reason, I didn't get the present I wanted or I like what he got better than what I got or whatever. And there's just a lot of drama mm-hmm. that often happens and visiting relatives add extra pressure that people are supposed to behave in a certain way. And parents are probably also worried that their parenting is going to be on, on the jury, you know, on the what do you say, the the witness stand, you know, where mm-hmm. they're just being investigated by everyone. And so if you feel like, oh gosh, my dog better not misbehave. I'm so stressed out. What if he pees on my mom's shoe or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, there's just so much extra stress. And so again, I would go back to sort of prepping them and getting them used to being comfortable behind a barrier so that some of those things can just fall away and you don't have to worry so much about it. Yeah, and that's where I think routine is important. And again, I I was a human parent first, so I just feel like I apply the same strategies to my dog. But I think nutrition is important, you know, good nutrition, getting adequate rest is important, getting lots of outdoor time. So physical activity or just taking time to just be mindful and, and be in nature and having that quiet time. I think those mm-hmm. are all things that really help. And it feels seems like the dogs also need that, if not more oh, than everybody else. So much. I, I think that that's something we don't give enough credit to with our dogs is how much time they just need to put their nose to the ground and sniff the world. It's so good for them to be able to just smell things. And honestly, if you're looking for a really quick win and you want to give your dog some really great mental stimulation, you can scatter feed, you know, a handful of your dog's dinner out onto the deck or onto your grass or into the snow or whatever, whatever your climate may be. We have, we used to have grass, but we're in a drought. And so now we have 
tan bark. And I can take my dog's, my senior dog's entire dinner and sprinkle it across that whole area. And Mm -hmm. it takes her like 40 minutes. And she comes in and she sleeps because she had to use so much brain power to sniff out all of those pieces of food. So she is really satisfied and satiated. You can do the same thing with dogs where you take them on a walk on a loose leash and let them let them stick their nose in any bush they want. You know, we call those sniffy walks where the dog gets to pick where it wants to go. Not that they're pulling you down the street, of course. I, this isn't to be confused with bad leash manners, but, you know, giving the dog again some autonomy to say, you know what, this fire hydrant smells amazing and I want to stand here for 10 minutes. And we can say, fine, I'll stand here and just read my email while you're sniffing because mm-hmm. it's valuable to you. And I need to let you be a dog because you're actually a dog. You're not, you know, some little human child in a cute fursuit. Yes. And it's interesting you said that because something that I came up with on my own and I thought, is this a little bit silly, but I found it works, is with my dog, he loves treats. And sometimes where I feel like he needs to be outside, but he doesn't want to be alone, I'll just find little treats and I'll break them up. And then I call it a scavenger hunt. And I disperse them through the backyard. And then he'll just happily for, like you said, half an hour, 40 minutes, go looking for the treats. And that not only tires him out, but it allows him to have some kind of a purpose or structure outside. And then he'll have a little nap and it just regulates his nervous system. So That's brilliant. Yes, scavenger hunts are huge. Now, Michelle, yourself, what have been your own aha moments of self-reflection as a dog parent? Oh my goodness. This is the hardest question. No, it's probably not a big list. I think what I have learned, I'm going to say, this is going to sound weird because one of my aha moments is actually also one of my biggest frustrations, Mm -hmm. um, which is to say that a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And so they don't go looking for any help because they don't realize that they even have a need or they don't even realize that something exists like me, for example, that could make their life so much easier and more relaxed, you know? Yes. And so I I think I just thought it was more obvious because, you know, there's dog trainers all over the place. Like, why wouldn't you think to ask for help? But I think in this day and age with YouTube and Facebook groups that let's admit, often give questionable advice. And Google. Um, Don't forget, oh Dr. My gosh. Google. You can really – yeah, you can misdiagnose things. Yes. My girlfriend does that. I'm like, turn off your computer. Yes. Um, but, you know, there are – it's sort of this culture of free, which, you know, granted, I like a good deal as much as the next person. But if – if somebody could make my life like a hundred times easier than it is now, that is worth some money. And so spending, so for example, I'm going to just give you a straight up example. So I have a workshop coming up on kid and dog relationships. Love that. It's just a workshop. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what it sounds like. I want to help your kid and your dog to have safe and positive relationships that will last a lifetime. That's what the workshop is. And it's going to be 90 minutes. I'm going to teach for like an hour and then we'll have Q&A for as long as people want, right? Mm -hmm. So people could do that. In 90 minutes, they can get walk away instant tips that they can implement to make their lives better for their kids and their dogs, okay? Or you can have people who are searching the internet for months Mm -hmm. looking for little pieces of advice here and there or getting some bad advice and choosing that instead and then causing damage to that relationship. 
you know? Yeah. I just, it, I, so the aha moment, it, it's not revelatory to your listeners, probably, unfortunately, except to say that please don't suffer. Like you don't have to, you really don't have to, because I get what it's like to be a parent and I know how hard it is and I'm never going to judge someone. I'm just going to help them. And so it's not uncommon for my clients and I to cry together because they have to make a hard decision or because they're just so stressed out. And, and I give them these virtual hugs and they're like, I'm just so relieved, you know, even just, even just talking to someone who gets it, you know, because I really understand dog behavior and I really understand children. And I know what it's like to try to juggle both of these things. So I don't know that that answers your question. I feel like that might've been a cop-out answer, but it, I do think it's so important. I don't want anyone to suffer or feel like you hate your dog because you have X, Y, and Z problem that actually could probably be fixed. Um, but in the meantime, you're just having so much resentment and discomfort at home. And and it doesn't have to be like that. I think that's the best advice, actually, that if you are suffering or struggling, that there are ways to get support in order to maintain those healthier relationships to create peace at home. I actually think that is the best advice because okay, who doesn't good. want that? And there are ways to get there. Yeah, that's which, true. We just have to want to get there. Now, yes, Michelle, you, you mentioned your workshops and a lot of the information that you shared. I would love to include those in the show notes for the listeners. But if our listeners want to find out more about you, how do they do that? Thank you so much for that. They can go to my website, which is poochparenting.net. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at poochparenting, all one word. And I have a membership for parents with dogs called the Pooch Parenting Society. Um, And I don't know when this will air, but I generally have it go to a wait list and then people who are on the wait list find out when I open that up to new members and you can get that information at safekidsanddogs.com. Wonderful. And I will also include links for those as well to make them easy to access. Thank you. Michelle, you are doing such important work. I mean, we've learned that dogs really are not just animals. They are highly sensitive. They're intelligent. They deserve to be treated with utmost respect, just like people. So thank you for raising awareness to humanize pets to ensure that they feel and are treated as part of the family. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And to the listeners and to your dogs, thank you for tuning in. (laughs) Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Nilforush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.